This is Jess Explores. I'm Jess and I work in Mare, the SFI Research Center for Energy, Climate and Marine. Join me today on a new episode of Jess Explores. The other day I was thinking about women that inspire me. One of the people that I often come back to is Amelia Earhart, who is one of the or the first uh, female pilot that flew by herself or that crossed the Atlantic by herself uh, in the 1930s. Amelia Earhart, and you probably heard all the stories of her being lost and this idea of like, oh, what happened to her and all of that mystery around her death. But that's not really what inspires me. What inspires me is this person who came from a very different background, who had very little to do with flying. Uh, But then in her 20s, she discovered or she was taken on a flight and she just made the decision then. She just knew this is what she had to do. And that's what she aspired then to. Everything else didn't matter as much because she got to do that one thing. And I think there was a lot of other things to her. And as we all, she was a layered person and she had very many interests and she was an advocate for women's rights and all of that. But what inspired me the most was her pure drive, that excitement, that energy of having found something that made her feel alive, something that made made her feel so unapologetic and so driven to just do that. And that to me is the inspiration. This is the pure definition of somebody that I aspire to be, that drive, that knowing despite everything else going on and all of these different fights that we have to go on every single day, that you still follow your own path and you still follow that direction that just spoke to you and something that's very important to you. So you do that. Uh, another person that is very similar to that really is Dr. Ingrid Visser, who is a marine, marine biologist in New Zealand. And if you've ever seen any programs on orca behavior, you will have most likely heard of this amazing marine biologist. She is just one of those people who is able to do exactly what I strive to do, although I'm not quite sure I would put myself into that much harm's way, in a way. Um, So she is one of those people, when you see a TV program about her, it looks like she's communicating with the orcas. And not in a, you know, not in a way where they're talking to each other and they're making jokes to each other and, you know, meeting at the water cooler or anything like that. But just the way she tries to understand them, the way she looks at their behavior and really has a connection to their behavior and their being. And I do believe she has a personal relationship with individual pods and with individual orcas of that pod. But her strong connection to the animals, and to the marine. It's just something that I've come across in, in the marine science quite a lot, to be honest, because most of, the, most of the people in marine science are exactly like that. It's just her ability to also communicate why this is important to the public and showing her relationship with these animals and letting the public in on that relationship it's just so inspiring and so amazing. And again, 
this drive of having something and understanding something that means so much to you and bringing it back to the people and showing why it is important. I like that trait. I like that that ability. Another person I um which brings us a bit away from, you know, the daredevil kind of side of things and that excitement of being in the field and doing an activity and being active, physically active in that is is uh, Eleanor Orstrom. So Eleanor Orstrom received the 2009 Nobel Prize in Economic Sciences. And I know this may not be the most exciting, you know, topic to think about, but what she figured out is that communities will govern a common good or shared resource with their own rules and regulations. Like they will manage that resource sustainably and in an equitable way. So where everybody could benefit from that shared resource without having to pressure or put pressure from from the political side where we say this is how you have to share your resource or this is how you manage your resource. So a community, let's say, had a shared um, land and that land had different crops and that community was able to manage that resource sustainably so that futures to come and generations to come would still be able to use that resource. And they did that without any of the outside influences, without having to sit down and having researchers and economists and you know political scientists and all of them come together and tell them how to do it. It was just in their nature of managing all of these important crops and resources that are beneficial for their overall health and well-being in that community. Now, you may hear this and you go, well, duh, yes, duh, but the way we have our economies now is driven very differently. So now we somehow allowed this shared common goods and we kind of allowed for people, for individuals or companies or people that are, I'm going to call them greedy, but that's maybe not the right term. These people have identified that there is a resource that they can use. Now, because that resource is accessible for everybody, those people will go in and take as much as they want because they're able to make a profit out of it or they're able to use all of those, you know, even efficiently. They may be able to get all the fish and feed all the people and get all the money from it. And they do that because that resource is open for everybody. Nobody tells them not to do that. Uh, they saw an opportunity and they saw an opportunity to make money and they saw an opportunity to build a business and they saw an opportunity to use something that is there for free. I don't think anybody could really fault that if you if you go from one step to the other. I think it makes totally sense that somebody would come in and do that. Now, the issue of course is number 1 if that if that individual or that company does all of that all the time, then we already know what is happening now is that we deplete all the resources. We use up everything without replenishing it or without giving nature the opportunity to replenish itself. Plus, 
we also create barriers for other companies. So there is no, uh, there is no free market. Even though everybody would be able to access that resource, we're not allowing that because we have the monopoly on it. And we, as that individual, then are uh, the one, we then feel an entitlement to doing that because we've always done that and nobody ever imposed any regulations on us. So what then has happened in our um, in our life is that governments and regulatory agencies and all of these um, all of these people that realize that this is not a sustainable way. Uh, so it goes both from the economic side of things that we can't just have one company take all the resources and then nobody else is going to be able to make any money of it. But then also from an environmental standpoint, we can't have one company taking all of the resources and and we have no resources anymore. Uh, so that's where the regulations come in. That's where those strategies of um, of economies uh, economics come in and say, well, no, we have X amount of companies and we know in the future there'll be X more or X different amount of companies and we need to make sure that all of them have an ability to get into the market by using this resource and at the same time we have to make sure that all of these resources are used sustainably. How do we regulate that? How do we uh, actually make sure that we're not just taking but making sure that these resources are there for the future to come. It kind of goes into my own research. It goes a little bit into blue growth and into marine science and how we actually uh, use oceans or any, you can even think about it as a land resource. How do you do that with, with air? Nobody owns air. We all need air. But how do we make sure that we're not depleting the air, the healthy air that we have and fill it with all kinds of gas, uh, like greenhouse gases? So these thoughts have come up because we're in that, you know, we are in this very transitioning time and a very interesting time from a research uh, point of view. But my point coming back to my to my inspiration, and that is Eleanor Orstrom, who identified that people are able to self-manage and that they do that sustainably and equitably. Uh, that is just a finding in itself and something that we have tried to understand how they make those decisions and how they know of those decisions without knowing that this is the sustainable way forward. And it comes back to um, to legacy and having talked to each other previously and storytelling and all of these different aspects and elements that make a community. It's a very roundabout way of me saying I'm super excited about Eleanor Orstrom's research and her readings. What I like about it is that I've read her papers and her books and all of that so many times and every single time I come back I go oh that's what she means and then I go back a year later or six months later and I reread the same thing and I go that's not what she meant or that's not what I thought she meant she means that so her writing and her research is that type of body where depending on your own thinking and the experiences that you have it will elevate Whatever, or it will change your understanding of what she has written and said and thought 
and again, this is so inspirational that even though, uh, and now sadly, uh, Eleanor Orstrom passed away not too long ago, uh, maybe 10 years ago or so, but the ability to create something that is sustaining and that that keeps people thinking about it and that has people come back to the same thing, that is so inspiring to me. And it's such a great ability, both on her accomplishments, but also on on her experiences and what she put out there. It's just completely mind-blowing to me. Now, I've talked to you about three people that I haven't had the opportunity to meet. Um, the only one alive still is Ingrid Visser there. Um, and hopefully one day I'll make it to New Zealand. And if I do, I will definitely go out and try to meet her. That's a different story. Uh, now, the last person that I want to mention here now is Lindy Johnson. Lindy Johnson, I know very little about. In fact, I know nothing about Lindy Johnson. Uh, if I Google her name, there will be a few mentionings here and there. Uh, there is some very nice um, remembrance things and like, she passed away quite a long time ago. Uh, but here's the thing about Lindy Johnson. She was a lobbyist from my understanding, an American environmental lobbyist. Um, and she was working in the marine field and marine science was very important to her. Uh, marine noise pollution, especially uh, especially from the shipping organizations, that was a very important one to her. She just understood that there was an issue and she understood that there was uh, an, a way and an opportunity to address this issue. Now, again, there is not much written about her or her work as in people know of her and especially the people that worked with her are very fond of her and have very many memories that... They're not my own, so I don't want to recount them. But there is one instance that to this day, and to this day, it just boggles my mind. And every time I think about it, I get a little bit emotional and a bit teary-eyed. So in 2015 is when I started my master's in um, environmental governance, and I looked at marine noise pollution. And it took quite a lot of convincing my uh, my university that this was actually noteworthy that this was something that I wanted to research because I needed to be researched but my my university back then uh, reluctantly agreed uh, they did see that I had the passion and they did see that there was a project to be done and they just let me go and said do it and see what happens <laughs> So I decided to do my research in the United States and especially on the east coast of the United States because that is where a lot of noise pollution is happening, but it's also where a lot of research is be or a lot of policies have been put into place and that is to protect them, the right whales. Um, so I went to the United States, that was right after Trump got elected, which was not the best time to do research in policy, uh, and especially not marine policy, because there was a lot of changes that were happening that during that time, and it was right before the inauguration. So that meant that 
there was a lot of uncertainty and people didn't quite know what was going on. Uh, they were told to continue, but it was just one of those a very strong shift. And I could feel it in my research and I could feel it in people having time and wanting to communicate with me about this very important issue. But what happened was I, I was able to meet with a few people in person. Uh, most interviews were then conducted uh, online. And all of that, you're more than welcome to read online if you want to. I uh, Just reach out to me and I'd be happy to share my master's thesis with you. Um, what happened then was I started talking to all of these people that kind of knew each other or knew of each other. And they all mentioned Lindy Johnson. And this one particular person just went into a lot of details about her the personal relationship that they would have had with Lindy Johnson. And it painted a picture of how Lindy Johnson actually operated. And it was this idea of convincing people and showing them how important a marine-related issue actually is, what the impact is, and how little other people would have to do to actually make sure that we're not harming animals, that we're operating as we did before, and that you're still able to generate, you know, your income, but that as such you could be as an as an um, as owning a company or you know being a ship operator or whatnot. You could be at the forefront of implementing something that everybody else will then implement after you because you did something that is beneficial to the health of the marine wildlife and that would help a lot of other companies and you'd be that you know that hero and that is how Lindy Johnson operated on a very personal level. She had very close relationships with people and she would just communicate the issue. This is my understanding of how she operated. Um, and so I just like this idea of this person not, you know, not going behind people's backs because obviously everybody knew that this was important to her. Uh, she didn't do anything, you know, anything outrageous. All she did was talk. All she did was explain. She told people why this was important and how that impacted them and their operations. And to me, that was just so inspiring that I decided this is where I wanted to be. This is how I wanted to do it. Exactly like that. I don't, as you may, like if you know me personally, I'm not the most... Um, the physical person, I don't, I, I'm very aware of many things that I don't know. And I'm painfully aware of many things that I'm not able to do just because I don't have the skills or the time or, um, you know, whatever else restricts me from doing whatever else. But I could talk, I could always talk, and I can communicate. And if that's your mode of inspiring people, then why not go for it? Why not do exactly that? Follow the passion that you have. Take that passion, regardless of what other people are saying to you about it, regardless of all what society tells you of like not, you know, don't do this or that because you're a woman. 
or don't like it's not normal for a woman to go out and fly by herself it's not normal for for a person to jump into the water with orcas and swim with them trying to understand them and then tell everybody about it uh, do it's not normal or it, it's um, crazy to write something that you know, kind of like Mahatma Gandhi, every time you reread it, you kind of go, this is something else. This is very inspiring. Um, and it's exactly that. Write something, produce something. If it's a picture, music, if it's written words, if it's spoken words, do something that people can come back to and try to understand it with their different understandings and, you know, try to do something. And then find a mode of communicating how you want to do that. All of these things are very inspiring and I think that there's so many women, way too many to mention here now, but I wanted to just tell you about a few people that have inspired me and hopefully these um, anecdotes and these little stories inspired you to, to look into your own life and look at the women that have inspired you and try to understand what it is that inspired you about them. If you want to engage with me on social media, follow me on Twitter at Jess underscore explores or follow me on Instagram at Jess underscore explores underscore podcast.